Well, we're finishing up this not-so-precious series about the not-so-precious moments in the Bible. And if you're just joining us this week, the way I got the idea for this is I was in Half Price Books, one of my favorite bookstores, and I saw all these different Bibles, and one of them was the Precious Moments Bible. You know, Precious Moments, little doughy-eyed um, creatures, and I thought, I wonder how they work that out. Well, they work it out by only putting a picture with whatever is precious, and whatever is not precious doesn't have a picture. And it turns out a lot of the Bible is not precious and doesn't have a picture. And so we've been looking at the not-so-precious stories in the Bible. But I also wanted to let you know that there are not-so-precious books in the Bible, that if you go through and count, the Gospels end up being pretty precious, but books like Leviticus, Job, Lamentations... Not so precious, right? Not so many pictures there. But actually, I counted up in the least precious book of the whole Bible. I wanted to do a sermon on that, and guess what it is? Revelation. That's right. Um, in fact, Revelation is so unprecious that the book of Jude, Jude which comes right before it, you, it's hard to find because it's only a chapter long. But if you just go to Revelation 1 and then go back to Jude, Jude has 25 verses. They squeeze in two precious pictures into the book of Jude, which is a chapter long. The book of Revelation gets one picture and a footnote. Okay, That's how not precious the book of Revelation is. And I bet y'all understand that, right? It reminds me a lot of this. I am Frau Blucher. <laughs> Steady! Uh, how do you do? I am Dr. Frankenstein. This is my assistant. Inga, may I present Frau Blucher? <laughs> I wonder what's got into them. Your rooms have been prepared, Herr Doctor. If you will follow me. Igor, would you bring the bags as soon as you're finished, please? Yes, master. After you, Frau Blucher. <laughs> Blucher! <laughs> Good night, Frau Blucher. Okay. I can say any book of the Bible, it's almost anybody in the church, and they're cool with it, right? But I say Revelation, and the horses scream, and the lightning crashes, and grown men fall to the floor weeping. Well, maybe not that last part. But whenever I say Revelation to any of y'all, they're like, oh, oh, that's such a scary book. Oh, it's so terrifying. Okay, so today we need to face our fear of the book called Revelation. Not... They were going to do... Okay? So that we won't hear horses screaming every time somebody says it. Instead, we can find out what it's all about. The reason it seems so foreign to us is because it was written 2,000 years ago. Now, so was the rest of the Bible, but Revelation was written in a genre that we don't have on our, the shelves of our libraries today. So if you go in biography, nonfiction, fiction, you're not going to find what type it was. Does anybody know what type of book Revelation is? The genre? Good, I get to teach you something. It's an apocalyptic book. Have you ever heard of that? Apocalyptic. The apocalyptic genre, you'll find that, like the book of Daniel is also apocalyptic. And it, it has these um, very rich 
visual images that allude to things, that has symbolic numbers and symbolic pictures and symbolic actions. And if you don't know the symbols, it can be really confusing and terrifying. And that's why people are terrified of the book of Revelation. You hear the horses screaming and things like that. So we're going to unpack it a little bit today. And I'm going to show you that this was not a terrifying book or a hard-to-understand book. It might have been a little bit frightening, um, but that's not its intent. Its intent was to show a meaning, and I'm going to get to the meaning in a minute. But the reason we have a hard time understanding it is because we've lost the decoder. Now, let's look at this. I'm not making a statement with this cartoon. I just want to show you how you know what this is talking about, okay? Tell me what an elephant means. Republican. Tell me what a donkey means. Democrat. Tell me what the red means. Blood. Is it? No. We're talking about red states, right? And blue states. Tell me what, the, what that um, word up there means. What are we talking about here? What, change. Yes. But what, whose slogan was that? Do we know? Okay, if not, I'd ask you, like, what rock you've been hiding under. That was the 2008 election. That was President Obama's campaign thing. And then we had the midterms, right? So do we all understand that this is a political cartoon that is talking about the political climate in the United States? We understand that, right? Okay. This would not be terrifying, would it? I mean, I hope it. Maybe you're like, oh, that's terrifying to me because I'm a Democrat or whatever, you know. I'm not making a political statement, but we know what it means. Now, imagine 2,000 years from now, some archaeologist digs this up. Okay? Would it be as clear to them as it is to us that we're talking about politics and the 2008 elections and the midterms that just happened? And would it be clear to them? They need somebody to help them unpack this. Otherwise, they would think, okay, back in 2011, they used to dress up elephants and donkeys in pants and button-down shirts and give them paintbrushes to paint words on walls. What kind of a sick society was this, right? And it would be really hard to understand. Revelation is the same way. For us, we, we look at this, we get it. For them, they, they heard Revelation, they got it, they understood But for us, we're a little more distant, so we need some help. So I'm going to help us unpack this today, okay? Now, I have taught the book of Revelation before, and I've done it. I usually do it in a 12-week class, 12 weeks for over an hour. Sometimes it's a two-hour class. So I'm not going to be able to teach you everything there is to know about Revelation in 15 minutes. But I want to give you a start. And the start is this. The book of Revelation is not at its heart about... Um, terrifying things. It's about as the world is getting darker, and all of us could look out into the world and find ways that we know it's getting darker. As the world gets darker, God is still there speaking through people to show the way home, to provide the light. Revelation is about the chance to repent. And we hear, we hear actually the people of God saying, God, bring it to a close, you know, let's, let's see the justice for the bad and, you know, let's, let's see the, the reward for the good. And God says, wait a little longer. It's not time because God wants to give everyone time to change their mind. That's what the book of Revelation is, a chance to change your mind. So I'm going to read to you, <laughs> you know, if you're going to preach on the book of Revelation, you have two options. You can go to the letters to the churches that's okay. Or you can go to the end where we're talking about heaven. You stay out of the middle because it's the blue her part, okay? We're going to go into the blue her part, into chapter 11, and Revelation is set, the 
uh, okay, try not to have your eyes glaze over here, but there are cycles in the book of Revelation. There are three cycles of seven things that happen, bowls and seals and trumpets. Y'all at least kind of, there are seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven seals, and that's three things that happen seven times. So in the middle of the first two cycles, there are interludes of just like, and now an intermission because it's getting, you know, a little intense here. They'll have an interlude. This is the second interlude. So this in the, in the second cycle between the sixth and the seventh thing, we have an interlude. That's chapter 11. And the reason I chose chapter 11 is because it, it shows you some of those crazy images, but it also shows you God is giving people a chance to change their hearts. So let's read it. Chapter 11. Let's start in verse 3. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will be clothed in burlap and will prophesy during those 1,260 days. These prophets are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of all the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire flashes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. This is how anyone who tries to harm them must die. They have the power to shut the sky so that no rain will fall for as long as they prophesy. And they have the power to turn off the rivers and the oceans to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they wish. When they complete their testimony, the beast that comes from the bottomless pit will declare war against them and he will conquer them and kill them. And their bodies will lie in the main street of Jerusalem, the city that is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, the city where their Lord was crucified. And for three and a half days, all peoples, tribes, languages, and nations will stare at their bodies. No one will be allowed to bury them. All the people who belong to this world will gloat over them and give presents to each other to celebrate the death of these two prophets who had tormented them. But after three and a half days, God breathed life into them, and they stood up. Terror struck all who were staring at them. Then a loud voice from heaven called to the two prophets, Come up here. And they rose to heaven in a cloud as their enemies watched. At the same time, there was a terrible earthquake that destroyed a tenth of the city. 7,000 people died in that earthquake, and everyone else was terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Okay, no hyperventilating. We're going to explain what's going on here. First of all, let's start with the symbolic, well, let's start with the witnesses themselves. Some people like to say that this is Elijah and Moses back to prophesy in the world. Some people say it's Israel and the church. That's what the witnesses are. Some people say it's just the church and their prophetic mission to speak the truth into the world. And what I would say is, it could be any of those, okay? You're not going to nail down for sure the answer here because it is a book with vivid images and it's open to interpretation. But the key is not who they are, it's what they're doing, And what they're doing is they're walking into the darkness, into this dark city. And did you notice how that's not a literal place? It can't be because it's given three different names. Actually, if you look at a more literal translation, this is the New Living Translation, so it helps you out. But if you look at the more literal translation, they're in the city that is called Sodom and Egypt and the place where the Lord was killed. Now, can it be all three of those things at the same time and be a literal geographic place? No, right, it can't be. So we're talking figuratively about a place where people are in captivity, about a place where sin rules, where God is killed. This is the heart of of the evil in the world. This is where God sends these two witnesses. And what they are doing is speaking the truth. They're in the darkness there, and they it says fire comes from their mouths. Well, fire is light, y'all. 
the light, the word of light is coming from their mouths. They're telling people the truth, people trapped in the darkness. And the darkness can't overcome it. Nothing can stand against them. Do I think that they were literally fire-breathing, dragon-like people? No. I think that the word was that powerful that was coming from them. That was the word of God that will triumph. Okay? So they're given to prophesy during 1,260 days, a symbolic number. Remember how I told you there are symbolic numbers and things in the book? This is a symbolic number. It's actually from the book of Daniel. From the book of Daniel, you have the same amount of time. It's three and a half years or 42 months. And if you put that three and a half years, 42 months, 1,260 days, that's symbolic of a time of tribulation. Now, since tribulation has become a loaded word after the whole Left Behind series, I would tell you that's a time of testing. It's a time of trial. It's a time people are given to make the decision about whose team they're playing on. It's a time to decide. Now, we see that mostly everybody decides wrong, right? Everybody decides they're playing on Team Satan. And so they are really happy when the beast comes up, and we're not going to be able to unpack the beast, I'm sorry. Maybe I'll teach you all this class and we can unpack the beast. Um, But the beast comes up, so evil comes up and kills the prophets, right? And how long do they lay there? Three and a half days, okay? So you see that time to decide again? There's Maybe not that it was literally three and a half days, but whatever period of time they're lying there, it's a time to make up your mind about whose team you're on. And what do the people do? Prophets are dead. I hated those guys speaking the word of God, right? I mean, those people... Have y'all ever had this to where you're going one way and somebody speaks the word of God to you? You're just like, I hate you for saying that to me. I mean, maybe that's just me, but I don't always like it when God convicts me that I'm going the wrong way. It's not a comfortable thing. So when they die, the people are like, woohoo, and they throw a party and get drunk and give each other presents. I mean, this is the heart of darkness here. And so the people lay, the witnesses lay dead. That was the ultimate abomination. That was a criminal's treatment to lay dead in the streets and not be buried. And they just leave them there and they gloat over them. But God's not done. That's the neat thing is even after these people have refused to listen for the year time, have refused to listen when they die, God is not done giving them a chance to pick differently, to choose a different team. And so God breathes life into them. They're alive again. Now, these people knew they were dead. They see God has brought them back to life. They're taken up to heaven. An earthquake shakes the city. People die. And all throughout the book of Revelation, we have people's response. The first response that we read in the book of Revelation is they're terrified. People are terrified, and they want the mountains to cover them. Another response is they refuse to repent. Then finally here, what do we say? What does it say? It says, not exactly that they repented, But for the first time, they gave glory to God. They realized, I think maybe there is a God, and maybe God is at work. That's the first step. And the first word in the Christian life is actually repentance. When John the Baptist came and he was preaching, there's a Savior coming. He told the people, repent. When Jesus came, the first sermon he preached was, repent. When the church was born and the Holy Spirit came to be among us, 
the first thing Peter said to people who were wondering about how to set off on the life of faith was, repent. Repentance is a little bit like this, I think. It's like you're going in one direction. Repentance actually means to turn around. So it means I've been going one direction, and I'm going to turn around and go a whole new way. My kids always tell me, I'm sorry. I'm like, okay, I forgive you, but sorry means more than just saying you're sorry. It means doing it differently, but it's a hard deal. Um, We have a new puppy. Y'all know that, right? We've got 10-month-old Graham Cracker, the puppy dog, and he's a Catahoula sheepdog mix. He's a rescue dog, and Graham and I go running, and Graham likes when he sees a deer, everything else in the world disappears for him, and there is only the deer and his desire to get it, and Graham is about a 60-pound dog with muscle, And so we're running, and a lot of times, it it always happens at the bottom of a hill. We're running down a hill, and Graham sees a deer, and suddenly, instead of just trotting beside me, he's like, you know, going for the deer. And I told Kevin, man, he's almost pulling me over. He said, oh, this is easy. I do this all the time. He said, "When when you're out with Graham, all you have to do is just change directions. No problem. Just change directions. Just turn around. And then he'll realize that he gets, And he'll start watching you instead of the deer. And I was like, you just stop like that? He's like, well, maybe use two hands, but just turn, just turn around. It's like, he, Kevin's a lot stronger than me. So, y'all, when I'm like running down the hill and Graham sees the deer, I grab the leash, I brace, and then I'm like, slow down, and then I sort of back up, and then I turn, and it's hard. Y'all can laugh at me because I'm not that strong. But anyway, my dog pulls me around. Same thing with sin. When we decide to turn around, some of us can make that pivot really nicely. Some of us, it's going to take all of our strength, all of our will to break the momentum and to say, we're not going that way. We're going the other way. That's what repentance is. Reminds me of this bumper sticker. Every time I see that, I laugh, maybe. (laughs) Where are we going And why am I in this (laughs) handbasket? Y'all, the natural way that we go, that our steps take us, is downhill into the darkness. That's just just where we're going to end up. We're just going to wake up in the handbasket. But God, through Jesus Christ, gives us the chance to realize that we're there and to make a decision about whose team we want to play on. Do we really want to play on the handbasket team? Or do we want to kick it over and say, no matter how hard it is, we're going another way. I'm taking my life another way. And the neat thing is that the book of Revelation doesn't end with the confusion and the choices and the decisions and all this stuff in the darkness. It ends when God really does bring the world back aright. And all those who have chosen to be on his team Stay with him forever. Go to a home that we've only caught glimpses of here. And so what I wanted to do for us today is to read you what that will be like. Because in the early church, they would have read the whole letter through. They wouldn't have stopped in the blue her middle part. They would have gotten to the end. And hear what the choice will get us to. And what I'd like you to do, if you're comfortable doing it, is to just close your eyes and listen. Just listen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. 
And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. I saw no temple in that city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry or dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen and hallelujah. If y'all would, would you put your hands like this as we pray? And let's pray together. Dear God, at some time we have all woken up in a handbasket, being pulled down a hill into the darkness. And we know we are the ones who put ourselves there. And we thank you, Lord. I thank you for each life who has been able to kick that thing over and by taking your hand and through the power of Christ has walked out and set a new course. And I pray, Lord, for any person here today who is still there, who is saying, that's me. I'm going somewhere that I don't want to be going. I pray you would give those people your strength, the strength to stop, to kick that thing over and take your hand and set off anew. And I pray, Lord, you would give all of us as we walk through this world of darkness, a glimpse that this is not it, that evil never has the last say, and that you have a home prepared for us where there is no night and the tears are gone. I pray, Lord, that as we continue to live in this world, when we face those times of darkness, we could be like these witnesses. We could be your light so that the people around us, the people who live in our neighborhood and the people who we work with and the people at our children's school could have a chance to say yes to you. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.